This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. It's hard to remember now, but in the early days of the pandemic, back in March of 2020, Before shelter-in-place orders were widespread, before putting on a mask to go outside was as habitual as slipping on your shoes, COVID-19 was a virus that seemed to only affect older people or those with underlying health conditions. Even if the young and vibrant did get sick, it seemed as though it wasn't any worse than recovering from a bad flu. But as we all now know, no one was truly safe from COVID-19. And one of the earliest to sound that alarm was Los Angeles fitness trainer, Amanda Klutz. I know my husband would love nothing more than to go on a beautiful walk through Laurel Canyon. He would love that. So do it for these people. They can't do it right now because- In mid-March, Amanda's husband, Nick Cordero, was feeling run down and taking frequent naps several hours a day. I'm sitting outside of Cedar sinai Hospital right now. And, uh... When his health quickly declined and he was forced to go to the hospital, Amanda started sharing updates on Instagram. I just finished my daily visit to go stand outside and play Nick's song and sing and pray and talk to him from afar. Within days of being admitted, Nick was on a ventilator and in a medically induced coma. So yes, my husband is in the ICU and yes, By mid-April, his leg was amputated. He has to pull through because all of this was his plan. L.A. moving, buying his first home. By July, he was gone. Hug your loved ones because I'm telling you, when I get to hug Nick again, it's going to be like the best day of my life. Nick was just 41 years old. He was a Tony-nominated Broadway star, an aspiring musician, and a new dad. That is the short version of the story. The long and truly moving version of that pandemic tragedy is now a memoir called Live Your Life, My Story of Loving and Losing Nick Cordero. It was written by Amanda Klutz with the help of her sister, Anna. And I was lucky enough to talk to Amanda about Nick, the writing process, the heartbreak, and the healing. Amanda, I hate even asking you to relive this, but, you know, and I followed you so closely as you told your story really courageously and so openly, which I want to ask you about in a moment. But can you just tell people what happened to Nick? Because his diagnosis was so shocking and discombobulating and confusing. And it was in the early days of the pandemic. And of course, I wonder now if, you know, when, with my husband's illness, I think, why didn't I recognize this? Why didn't I see this? Why didn't I appreciate that this was happening to his body? And, and 
you all were, I think, I mean, it was a bit of magical thinking, but also just a lack of understanding about this, this virus. So tell me about Nick. When he first got sick, he was just really, really tired, sleeping all the time. Yeah. And honestly, Katie, too, a lack of knowledge about the hospital and care and what being in the ICU means and everything that they have to do in the ICU. I I had no clue. I was so green about everything. Um, Yes, Nick, um, you know, we still don't know how he got COVID. We will never know this. It's impossible to trace. Uh, You know, we can think about we were in New York City. This was the beginning of March. Um, He was around a lot of people, around a lot of Broadway people, but he was also around me and my entire family and all of our friends um, the whole two weeks that we were in New York and no one got COVID, you know, so that's, you know, so then you think, okay, then he got it on the flight back to L.A., but then he was only two days uh, after that flight that he started having symptoms. So that doesn't really even correlate the math. So, um We'll never know that piece, but yes, it just started with Nick being really tired. And I thought it was a couple of things. I thought, you know, maybe he's depressed. His show um, is closed because of COVID. We're in this house um, and we have nowhere to go. Um, he can't create. He can't do the things that he loved to do. His music, he was really working on his music. So I thought, you know, he's just depressed and jet lagged. And so, yes, go sleep. And I feel bad now because I was, you know, taking pictures of him and sending them to my sister and being like, Nick's taking another nap. Don't worry. I'm just here, you know, with Elvis, you know. Um, And I feel like you said, it's like I feel so bad about that now. I didn't recognize that anything was wrong because he literally was just sleeping. He didn't have a cough. He didn't have a fever. He didn't ache. Nothing. And those were all the signs that you were seeing on the news. And trust us, we were watching the news like every other person in the world 24-7. It wasn't until... He fainted one morning and was kind of really out of sorts that I took him to an emergency room and, or sorry, an urgent care. And the urgent care did all these tests for flu, but not COVID because he didn't have any COVID symptoms and he wasn't around anyone that had COVID. And at that time, again, super early in March, you couldn't get a COVID test unless you had the symptoms or if you were around somebody that had tested positive. Nick had neither. So they didn't do a COVID test on him. They took an x-ray of his lungs, which now I know from being in the hospital 95 days that his lungs looked terrible, like when it looks like shards of glass. So, but, you know, again, didn't know. Nick and I looked at this x-ray and they they said, you know, he looks, it looks like you have pneumonia is what Urgent Care said. And they said, if you get better, um, we're going to give you some drugs. Hopefully you'll get better. If you don't get better, go to the emergency room on Monday Over the weekend, with all the drugs that they gave him, he was even worse. And it got really bad. He couldn't breathe. He was having really a really hard time breathing. And he was using um, an inhaler that they had prescribed him. So that the Sunday night before I took him to the emergency room, we called our good friend who is a brain, like one of the top brain surgeons at Cedars-Sinai. And he said, the breathing issues, that's not good. You should take him right away. And I said, well, is the morning okay? You know, we have this little boy and he's sleeping and I don't know how to, you know, he said, okay, but just first thing in the morning. So we did, we took him to the emergency room first thing in the morning and I dropped Nick off. I thought I'd pick him up in two hours. Um, I, you know, I, I look back on that moment. I, I honestly don't remember what we said. I didn't kiss or hug him because we, we didn't know what he had. And again, like, in those early days, it was like, don't leave your house. You're going to get COVID. You you know, if, if somebody's sick, don't even go near him. And we had Elvis and I was still breastfeeding Elvis and, you know, taking care of him. So I didn't hug him. I didn't kiss him. I dropped him off at the corner of Cedar sinai um, I don't even know if he said goodbye to Elvis. I mean, we really thought I'd pick him up in a couple hours. I went for a walk. And of course, you know, those hours turned into, they want to keep me overnight. They did a COVID test that turned into that morning. Um, they're taking me to the ICU. My my organs aren't getting enough oxygen. 
And then the next day, they want to, you know, put me under and put me on the ventilator. So upsetting to read that, Amanda, because obviously things just spiraled. But when you write about Nick just basically waving to you on the curb and you saying goodbye without any kind of idea that this was going to be the last time you saw him outside a hospital setting. And the last time he was him, you know, because I saw him again, of course, but he couldn't, he could barely even open his eyes, you know, on a good day, he could open his eyes. So, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard. I, I hate thinking about that moment. And it only makes me every time I say goodbye to Elvis, even if his nanny is just taking him to music class. I hug and kiss that little boy and let him know I love him because you just never know. I mean, life is just, that's one thing I learned this past year is how fragile life is and how you just never know and you can't take it for granted. When you um, went to see him when he was going to be put on a ventilator, uh, he was quite out of it. As you said, his, uh, you know, you, you describe him as sleeping with his eyes sort of half open which was scary and, and disturbing, I know. But he did tell you that he was scared, didn't he? Well, that was um, that was actually a beautiful moment. So I, that was at four o'clock in the morning. He called me. They want, and he said they want they want to put me on a ventilator. Um, and uh, and I said, oh, okay. Again, not really fully even understanding what it what was. What that meant. I really didn't. I don't even think Nick did. Um, and, you know, in the ICU, that's so formulaic <laughs> that, you know, it's it's nothing to them. And so um, when he called to tell me that I had Elvis in my arms, it was four o'clock in the morning. I was like, okay, honey. Um, you know, they said though it'll be a couple of days at, at the most seven days. Um, but this is just so that my body can rest and I can get better and, um, and they can, you know, get oxygen really into my body and my organs. And so we said, I love you. And that's the last time I heard, you know, I, I heard Nick speak. The, the beautiful moment was later on in the hospital, um, towards the end, I was sitting there one day with Nick's mother and a nurse walked in to the room and he said, are you Amanda? And I said, yes. And he said, oh my gosh, I've been trying to find you. I heard that you had been um, visiting Nick. He said, I want to let you know I'm the nurse that was with Nick when they put him on the ventilator. And of course, like I was already bawling. And he said, he said um, that Nick was really scared. And that, um, that he was really scared that he would never see his wife or kid again. So, I mean, at the moment, it was actually a beautiful moment. It's kind of like really sad to think about. But when the nurse came in to tell me that, it was just like I was by Nick's side. I was holding his hand and I just like, I was so happy that I was there with him. Well, it must be so, I mean, first of all, what you've been through is incredibly traumatizing on its own. But the circumstances, not being able to see him, then I know they did let you come in and see him ultimately. But I mean, to feel so, I think you feel powerless and helpless under the best of circumstances when someone you love is sick. And then when you cannot be there physically, it it must have been maddening and just so... I don't even know if there's a word for it, Amanda. So frustrating and so um, infuriating. I don't even know, as I said, how to describe that feeling you must have had not being able to be there to to support him and to comfort him and to help him. Yeah, and no, and it was. It was really hard, too, because, um, you know, again, you, you in retrospect, um, I have a, a, a slightly different, you know, feeling in the moment as a wife, you know, and as a, a mother, um, it, I was, it was maddening. It was very frustrating. And, you know, how can you not let me in this hospital right now? I don't go anywhere. I'm safe. I've been tested. I don't have COVID. Um, 
I need to be by him. Nick needs his people, you know, his person. He needs support. Um, and of course, you know, I argued every day and it was, it was such a struggle with the hospital. And, um, at the time, very, very hard to understand. Now, looking back on it, I have, of course, I mean, I always had admiration and appreciation to those doctors and nurses, but now looking back on it, having, you know, that experience, um, I'm, of course, I'm so grateful to them for even letting me in during, during this time. And, everything that was going on and how on a daily basis, anybody that entered that hospital was a risk to the patients and to the doctors and nurses. So it's so hard, Katie, because like, yes, at the time I was filled like anger battle every day with anyone I could just to try to walk through those doors. And, you know, the security at Cedar sinai at the time was like the White House. It was like, you aren't getting in. Um, so it was a it was a struggle, but um, you know, of course, they needed it to be that way, and of course, they needed to protect anyone and everyone that was there risking their lives with this whole pandemic. So it was, yeah, it was a battle every day. You know, I'm thinking about Nick because he had no underlying conditions. He was a very healthy person. He, uh, you know, took good care of himself. Right. He was in great shape. And, you know, it's just such a mystery. Why? What was it about his biology? And I'm asking this rhetorically that that created this situation where this virus was so devastating to him. And it's it's still a mystery, isn't it? It Yes, it certainly is, because. You know, like you said, he had no pre-existing health conditions. And on top of that, he was even somebody that never really had to go to the doctor. He never got a cold. He, you know, never had the flu. I mean, it just, you know, I'm I'm always at the doctor. <laughs> I'm always having things, you know, I've had all, all thyroid disorders since I was in sixth grade. I mean, I'm always the one that like has the issues and and then, you know, and then this happened to him. I mean, yes, super healthy, 41 years old and, um, you know, had everything in life waiting for him. You know, I don't know. There's all the things, you know, of course, that we all heard blood types. Um, the fact that he was um, Latino, you know, it hit the Hispanic community. I mean, we went through all of it and I asked you know, next doctors every single time. And their answer every single time was, we don't know. We don't know why this virus sometimes really gets to somebody and why sometimes you don't have any symptoms and why one person in the household will get it, but nobody else will. And then that whole household, everybody will get it. Nobody knows. And they also said, that's what's making this so hard about helping people and, 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 in being here right now, dealing with all these people's, um, you know, issues at the moment because they couldn't, there was no recipe. Do you know what I mean? Like not one thing worked for everybody. It, so it was, it was the wild, wild west at the time. We'll be taking a short break, but when we come back, grief in the age of Instagram. That's right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. L-A-S-I-K 
LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I have had sort of a weird day, super emotional and tired and kind of just feel like the wind is knocked out of me. I just feel like if he hears his music, if he hears us playing his music, you know, that'll ground him to wake him up because the doctor said it's all about we got to wake him up. So you guys, he did get another great report from the doctor. Things are just slightly looking better. Um, I'm going to tell you guys some um, more Nick stories because I have so many people praying for him. It's so, sorry, um, just like a beautiful story. My husband has been in the ICU for 91 days. We don't know if he will make it. I hope and pray every single day of my life that he does. You went through the whole process and this whole journey very publicly on Instagram. And I, like so many other people, watched you. And I'm curious why, why you decided to do that and how you found the, the courage to do it. Because I know it wasn't easy. I mean, we could see how difficult it was on many days. And you were asking people to pray for Nick and giving people updates. And there it was profoundly personal. And did you just did you just feel like you needed that outlet? How did that kind of start? And when did you decide I'm gonna just be really honest and real on social media about what I'm going through? Well, it started because um you know, Katie, I have this fitness business that I run. And so I'm, you know, before all of this happened, I had 50,000 followers on Instagram. But um, to those 50,000 followers, I was always on Instagram, always promoting fitness and my life and showing Elvis and, you know, Nick and, you know, anything that happened with Nick and I, our wedding, you know, um, I was al already very public but yeah. to that small amount of people. And um, when Nick got sick and I took him to the hospital and then when he was in the ICU, I originally got on Instagram and, and started talking about it because I thought, well, first of all, I can't be on Instagram being this fitness person, but have this other part of my life happening and not be honest about it. It, it felt like I would be living a lie. So I felt like I had to at least address it. And then, but more importantly was the fact that I felt like to somebody who is sitting at home watching the news 24 seven and hearing what was happening and hearing the symptoms that were COVID symptoms, but then my husband's laying in the ICU and he didn't have any of these symptoms. I thought, you know, I, I have to, I have to talk about this because if there's anyone else laying on their couch, just tired maybe they should, you know, listen and, and get checked and tested because this, this might be a symptom too. Um, so I, you know, I, I thank God that, that I, I did that just because I feel like it helped a lot of people just be aware of the situation. And then of course, like things just, you know, snowballed. And in 18 days, Nick was, you know, had died lost a leg, was on ECMO, um, and barely surviving in 18 days. So it kind of just really quickly snowballed. Again, when I, when I look back, because in the moment I was just kind of, um, in fighter mode, you know, and, and as I was sharing things, the, the response from people was so comforting, the kindness, the prayers, the support, the 
food on our doorstep, the, you know, any, anything. I mean, it was, it was crazy how generous people were being and it was so helpful. It was really helping me. And then I realized in writing this book that when I look back at sharing my story and why I probably kept continuing doing it was because it was literally therapy for me every single day. I was on, I was talking it out. Something would happen and I would just talk it out. Number one rule that a therapist will do, just talk, talk. What happened? Write it down or talk it out. So every day I was just being completely honest and open, talking everything that was happening. It was it was literally like I was giving myself therapy every day. I didn't realize I was doing that until my girlfriend who's studying to be a therapist said to me after we wrote after I wrote the book she goes you know you 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 did like what a therapist would tell you to do if 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 they were giving you advice to like okay just day 1 what happened and she was you did that every single day for yourself so she said you're kind of if if I were looking for a therapist for you you kind of need to look at, for somebody who can work backwards because you've already done a lot of the work that a therapist would tell you to do first and foremost, talk about it and then write it down. <laughs> she goes, so you talked about it and now you've written it down. <laughs> so she was like, I don't, I don't know how to treat you. I don't know what to tell you to do. <laughs> um, but I realized now it was therapy and, and, and asking people for help and asking people for prayers. The, the medical advice I got every day, the doctors from all over the world that were reaching out to me, I mean, it was, it was, I could not have gotten through those 95 days without that love and support. I really couldn't have. And I do believe, I truly believe Nick felt it in the hospital. I really do. You were asked, I know, uh, about writing a book, Amanda, two weeks after Nick died. And I just, I can't imagine being approached about that and being ready to kind of talk about what he, you had been through. But you wanted to, and you were ready, or maybe you weren't, but you decided to try. Tell me about the process you went through when it came to writing this book or actually deciding you would write a book. Um, well, it, actually, Harper's, uh, Harper Collins reached out to me end of June, so before Nick passed. And um, she, Lisa Sharkey, uh, reached out to me and she said, I've been following this story. And she said, um, it needs to be written down. It's a piece of history, I believe. And this story is just remarkable. And she said, I don't even care how it ends. Um, I just think it's important that you write it down. And I was leaving the hospital. I was like, you know, I, I could, I, during that time, like my mind was so just all over the place, of course. And I said, well, oh my gosh, I, I'm, you know, I don't even, I don't, I'm not a writer. I, <laughs> and she said, no, we would get somebody to help you write it. And, um, and I didn't have a lit agent. And so I said, well, you know, let me think about this. I reached out to Gabrielle Bernstein, who had been following the story and had been kind of, uh, writing to me over Instagram, any kind of things that she can do to help. So I reached out to her. She got on the phone with me and she said, um, I'm going to put you in touch with my lit agent. And I think you should do this. I think you should do this. And I said, okay. And I quickly thought of, you know, if I, if I want somebody to write this with me, I'm, I'm going to need somebody to write this with me. I need it to be my little sister. Um, so I pitched, uh, Anna to Harper Collins and after reading uh, just a snippet of how she writes, she's an incredible writer. They were like, yes, of course. Oh my gosh. And I said, you know, Anna's been not only with me through this whole battle, she's been in the hospital with me, but she also was a huge part of, um, my relationship with Nick. She was on our honeymoon, part of our honeymoon with us. I mean, she's, he must've loved that. <laughs> yeah. I did. No, actually we had a, we had an epic honeymoon that I'm honestly like, thank God we did that. And, and, uh, the, the bit that Anna was on actually was a, a good amount of friends we, uh, were with and it was so great. It was so great, but, um, she was such a part of our lives. And so, um, Anna was the perfect person to do this with. 
and um, you know, Nick passed and they, they by no means were pressuring me to start writing, but I went to Ohio with my parents just to kind of decompress and have like some time. And I put Elvis to bed one night and I just started writing. Um, and again, I think it was that whole thing of giving myself therapy and I didn't even know I was doing it. Um, I'm so glad I did. I would write till one o'clock in the morning through tears. I mean, there were sometimes I couldn't even see the keyboard or what I was typing because I was crying so hard and I would stay up till like one or two o'clock in the morning and I would just kind of, you know, just write, um, not really even knowing, you know, what I was writing necessarily. And I started sending things to Anna and Anna started kind of putting it into something. And, um, and that's kind of how we started writing this book together. And, um, it was a really magical experience. And, and I think for both of us really cathartic because, you know, Anna was such a part of this story and I think it really helped us both to process everything. And I'm really glad I started writing it when I did, because I'm sure you can understand, Katie, like everything was so fresh in my mind. The numbers, the medical terms, the dates, like I knew the dates. What the hospital looked like oh, and, everything. and sort of the layout of the hospital, yes. almost the smell of the hospital. The floors, everything. the room numbers, the names of nurses. I mean, like everything, the medications. Like, I mean, you ha I, I had it in my brain. It was so there. If you asked me to write this book now, I couldn't do it. I don't have that memory. Unless I had written things down, I would not have been able to mem like remember the details in this book are so just, uh, they're there because I, it was so fresh in my memory. And I'm, I'm so glad that I just put my pen to paper or my fingers to the keyboard because I, it, it needed to be written down, especially for Elvis. I'm so glad this book exists for Elvis because it really like, I think we'll give him a lot of peace one day too. I'm sure. And I think the process is so interesting, Amanda, because Anna was in Paris and you were in California and Ohio, I guess both. Um, and so you would write and and so you had a time difference. And and I guess when she'd wake up, she'd kind of how, how did that work? It actually ironically worked out great when when I brought her on board for this project, she was just about to leave for Paris. And I thought to myself, Anna, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like, I think you should stay in Laurel Canyon with me and let's like write this book. And then you go to Paris. And she, you know, was just adamant about getting back to Paris, rightfully so. Um, and I'm so glad she did. But it actually worked out perfectly because as she was waking up, I was going to bed. So I was just finishing, you know, whatever I was finishing and I would press send. And literally I'd like, pull the covers over me and I'd get a text message from her going, I just woke up, sister. I saw your email. I'm on it. And so then she would work all during the day. And then by the time I would wake up, I would have her notes. And so then after I put Elvis down for bed, I could start on her notes. Wow. It really flowed so well. And then we would get on the phone and FaceTime or, you know, chat if we needed to kind of like go through details. Or I would say to her a lot, like, um, you know, actually, Anna, that's not right. Or that's not what I was thinking. Or, you know, she knows me so well. I mean, we, we used to call Nick and she would pick up the, she would call him and pretend to be me and he wouldn't even know. I mean, that's how she, she sounds like me, talks like me. I mean, we finish these other sentences. So a lot of times she would write something and, and I would be like, oh my gosh, Anna, like I, I can't, like, it's like you were inside my brain. And then other times she would, I would be like, that's actually not what I was thinking. She's like, oh, okay, man. It's like, okay, tell me. And so we had a lot of beautiful moments. And then a lot of times where I would go to bed sobbing and she would text me and she would say, sister, I know I went to bed sobbing too. Um, I can't believe this happened. And I would write back, I can't believe this happened either. It doesn't seem real. And, um, you know, cause you write this, it, you write it down, especially Katie, like when you read the book, all of the things that are so weird, all the coincidences, all the people that started coming into our lives, it just like, it doesn't seem real, you know? And so a lot of times we would be writing something and it, we would just say like, this doesn't seem real. And yet we know it was, we lived it, but 
it just doesn't seem real still. In the dedication you write for Nick, now you know your story. For Elvis, now you have his story. I'm curious because you're very honest about some of your struggles with Nick. Um, And were you ever tempted, Amanda, with Anna to kind of um, give an almost sanitized version of, of Nick because this is going to be a real lesson and and kind of a, an education for Elvis. And I'm curious how you weighed those two things about being, you know, showing Nick as a complete human being, flaws and all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all have flaws. I mean, one of my biggest flaws through, you know, my relationship with Nick was, and I, I you know, hate myself for it. Um, but I never really truly believed in his music. Like it was, you know, I hate to say that, but it wasn't until he was in the hospital and I, I started singing live your life every day that I was like, this is an amazing song. And wow, like my husband's so talented, but gosh, you know, and I think this is so relatable. Nick was 40. I was 38. We had a new baby and he wanted to like, go into music. And I was just like, you know, honey, like, I don't know if this is the time to, to you know, go on tour with a band around the, the world or the country and in, in a bus to bars. You know, what? how, how, are, how are we supposed to? So, you know, I look back and I'm like, gosh, I really sucked as like being the supportive wife, you know, and we fought about moving to California for a whole year. We fought about it. He wanted to come to California. That's where he smelled opportunity and that's where music was and that's where he had to be. And I was like, well, my business is here in New York and 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 the actor world for you knows you here. And and my parents live across the hall and my sisters are up the street. Like, we're really leaving? We're going to go across the country? And your mom is in Toronto, an hour flight from New York. She comes down all the time, you know, like, and you just want to pick us up and leave us. Yeah, but you know, that's that's marriage. Like, give me a marriage that's perfect all the time, that two people are perfect all the time with no flaws, that doesn't exist. And and so to to tell this story and pretend like we were this perfect couple or that we never had problems or that we never, you know, got on each other's nerves or or almost broke up, you know, before we really kind of got it together. I just, you know, that's not the truth. And if I hope if anything, after following me through all of this, you know, I'm an honest person. I will always give you the honest report about things going down because, you know, there's enough, you know, making everything perfect for the world and social media, especially. I think we're, we're, we're all kind of sick of that, right? What would you ideally like Elvis to say when he's old enough to read this book? I'm so glad you wrote this, Mom. I'm, you know, I'm so glad that I know I have, I'm so glad I have this. I'm so glad that my family will have this. Um, You know, I think, like I said, there's, there's so, if I didn't, if I hadn't written this down, it would have all been from memory. And I think we can all attest to the fact that as years pass on, you're like, yes, you were born June 10th. It was in the morning, six something, and you weighed seven pounds and I 14 ounces. I mean, you know, I mean, unless it's written down, as time goes on, you just forget things. And I don't, I, this was something I don't ever want to forget. I don't ever want to pass by this story and, and who Nick was and how hard he fought because he truly did. He fought so hard and I know he did. I saw it. And, you know, Elvis will never know because he was too little. And by the time he came to the hospital, it was too late. You know, Nick was, was almost passing and, and Elvis was, you know, he wasn't old enough to fully understand where he was or who he was even seeing. So, you know, I'm just glad that he has this now. Um, and I'm, and I'm, 
you know, it was crazy. There is a, a day where Jennifer Love Hewitt, who's become a dear friend through all of this, she she called me. She's like, I have to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And, you know, she's very spiritual. And she said, I had an amazing dream about Nick. He visited me in my dreams, took me on a walk through Laurel Canyon and was talking to me about your book. And he said he sat beside you every day when you wrote and he now knows his story and he has closure on his life. He knows what happened to him in the hospital. And I was like, oh my God. And so I had never thought of it that way. I never wrote this book so that Nick had closure, but it, it makes sense. You know, you'll see in the book, I, I was positive penny every day in that hospital room. I never let anything negative enter his room. If a doctor walked in, we always exited to talk. It was only positive things. I never really let him know the severity of his situation because I just wanted him to to focus on living and walking out of that hospital one day and having his code Rocky. And so he never knew. And um, I never thought of it that way until she said that. And then I was like, wow, that's so Nick needing closure on his life. Of course, we all you know, a lot of us are closure people and Nick was, he, he would have needed this closure. And so when I wrote the dedication, it was actually the day I started my audiobook uh, recording of it. And, and she said, uh, sorry, the director, Travis said, do you know your dedication yet? I said, I do now. I said, it's very simple. And I wrote the dedication because now Nick knows his story and now Elvis has the story. When we come back, Amanda shares some funny Nick stories and a very touching letter. That's right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Now, please welcome Tony nominee Nick Cordero and the company of Bullets Over Broadway. In preparing for this interview, I went back and watched Nick's Tony performance, and there you were. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's Amanda. <laughs> She's in there. You were handing him something, right? Yes, his, his gun. And <laughs> it was so exciting because, you know, when you're in a Broadway show, you only get nominated if you're a new Broadway show. And so you only perform if you're a new Broadway show. So it's it's a huge, you know, huge deal if you're asked to perform at the Tony Awards and you're a performer. I mean, there's a lot of times you do 14 Broadway shows but never get to perform at the Tony Awards because it just doesn't work out. And so they, you know, the number that they did was an all-male number, next big number, because he was nominated for a Tony and Susan Stroman called me up one day. I'll never forget it. And she said, you know, we need um, somebody to come on and carry, uh, give Nick his gun. And so I thought <laughs> it would be perfect if it was you. And I think she had a 
good inkling that Nick and I were, you know, kind of flirting from on stage and off stage. And so I know she kind of probably picked me for that reason too, but um, it was very kind of her to choose me to just walk out and walk, walk out, uh, walk on and off stage because uh, it was so exciting that I got to perform at the Tony Awards and, and give Nick his gun. And then no one really knows, but he really messed up his lines um, singing. And as I was handing him his gun, I was smiling going, oh God, you really just messed up your lines. And he's looking at me like, oh, I just messed up my lines. <laughs> and he <laughs> killed himself the whole day. Oh, he was so sad that he messed up his lines, but nobody knew unless you knew. I was going to say, I think you're the only two who noticed. No, but it's- I saw him dancing and singing and thought, wow, you know, he's he was so tall, right? How tall was Nick? Six five, Katie. Six, oh, my God. Five. And he was a fantastic dancer. And he that's was. hard when you're that tall, isn't it? Oh, to and, dance like that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, Susan Stroman's all about dancing into the ground, you know, really using your lower body, kind of staying underneath yourself when you dance and, you know, just, you know, and it was an all male number and they're, you know, the, you know, gangsters. And so it was very like, down and dirty kind of number and uh right from bullets over broadway obviously and what was the song i'm trying to remember the song nobody's business yeah ain't nobody's business if i do right yeah if i dislike my lover and leave her for another take nobody's business if i do and so it was great. You know, Nick um, worked every day on that dance number. Even before we started rehearsals, Susan Stroman had him doing private tap lessons with James Gray, the associate choreographer. And uh, there I, there were many a days in the rehearsal room before we started rehearsals that I was, the, I was the costume model. So I was doing the costume modeling and he was in the other room doing private tap lessons. And, you know, we, we didn't even like each other that. I mean, we were just friendly, like, hi, hi. Uh, but you know, it's just funny to look back on those memories and, and know that I was, you know, naked wrapped in fur in one room and he's doing private tap lessons in another. (laughs) And I believe you write about the fact that he caught a glimpse of you naked wrapped in fur and that might've changed the dynamics ever so slightly, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) It was a funny moment. The elevator door opened and I was like, oh, (laughs) Anna and you obviously were closer than close before you started this book. And now I think probably, you know, two hearts beat as one in many ways. I don't know where I got that, but it sounded good. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she you included um, a letter she wrote you on Mother's Day because you were a little uh, slightly miffed and disappointed that Nick didn't make a fuss when you were pregnant with Elvis. And then, of course, he couldn't. for the next Mother's Day, but she wrote you a really moving letter. And I wondered if you could read a little bit of that for us. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, sure. Okay. Chapter 12 on Mother's Day. Okay, here we go. Dear Elvis, it's your mom's first Mother's Day. And to use the same words that your dad did in her birthday card, it is not the kind she wanted or deserves. But she woke up this morning, as she always does, with a full heart and a smile. You're 11 months old today. You don't know or understand what is going on in the world right now or what has happened to your family. And for that, I am so grateful. One day you will be able to look back and know what happened when you were just a little baby boy, our petite. You will be able to read about how things changed so quickly, how our world stopped and how slowly our earth healed from it. You will understand why we always linger a second longer now when we hug and why we never miss a birthday party, a wedding, or a holiday. You will know why your mom and Uncle Todd and I are bonded in the most unbreakable way now. But there are some things she's not telling you in her letters, things she won't come out and say herself, and so I'm writing you this one so that you will know, Elvis, you don't have a regular mom. You have a super mom. I can't get through this letter. Um, Right now you're into everything. You destroy the perfectly clean house in a matter of seconds. You open every cabinet. You shouldn't touch and play with everything but your toys. You try to take down paintings, topple tables, and splash in the toilet. Everything you pick up, you try to put in your mouth, from dirty shoes to rocks to lemons that fall from the tree in the backyard. 
She never yells. She never is frustrated. She never ever shouts. She looks at you with eyes that outpour admiration and laughs as you get into mischief. Elvis, she is a warrior. What has happened to your dad is sometimes impossible to believe so much so quickly it feels to us like it can't be real. Your mom has dealt with more fear and pain and stress in the last six weeks than most people could ever endure in a lifetime. Keep going. No, that's good. Um, how did she close it? Um, she says that uh, I have never seen someone give someone else the kind of pure and selfless love that your mom gives you. You hit the jackpot, kid, getting her for a mom. I know because I hit the jackpot, too, when I got her for a sister. That's so beautiful and so nice. And now, you know, I think about you, Amanda, because you find yourself a single mom, which is really hard, I know. And how are you handling just being that person that you never imagined you'd be? I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, you know, you feel a lot of pressure to be like two people, you know, to give like as more than you possibly can give because he's missing half of what he should have. Um, there's pressure to provide and make sure that I can give him everything I possibly can in life. Um, and then there's like days where you're just really frustrated because I'm trying to like do emails and text people back and, even just have a sip of coffee or take a shower and he won't let you. <laughs> um, and you're just, you know, frustrated. And it, that's really hard because you're like, gosh, I just wish there was like somebody else here that could, you know, it, his dad that could be like, come on, Elvis, like we're going to do this so mom could go shower. That person isn't there. And, you know, no one's, you know, no one sees those times, you know, no one sees like those struggles where you're just like, uh, you know, but you like love your kid so much. It's never not about that. Um, but I have really great help. I have the best Manny and Nanny, and I have these friends that will literally do anything for me. I have, I have really like the, I'm so lucky to have these people in my life. And my brother lives in San Francisco. He'll come down anytime I ask him, he's in the car. Um, driving the six hour drive to get down here and be with me and Elvis. I mean, he thinks of Elvis as a son. So I'm very lucky in that respect, but yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's really hard being a single parent. Um, I mean, my heart goes out to any single parent out there. It's hard alone to be a parent, <laughs> you know? Do you ever think about like, gosh, Maybe I could open my heart to someone else, or is that just something that you aren't allowing yourself to even think about? And I can't believe I'm asking you such a personal question, but I sort of feel like I can. Yeah, you can, Katie. I mean, obviously, you know, I asked you this question when I when I talked to you when we first met, I think, um, because it's so crazy. Yes, I, I listen. I firmly believe that if Nick could have spoke on his when on his days that he was last here, he would have looked at me and said, "You better fall in love again. You better find an amazing man and somebody that loves Elvis as much as po as much as I possibly, you know, as much as possible." Um, I would have said the same thing to him. So I know he would have said the same thing to me if he could have. I know he doesn't want me to be alone. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that idea. Um, I love having a companion. I love being married. I love having a husband. If that happens again in my life, I will be so grateful for it. Um, not ready just yet. I, uh, you know, I'm sure like, Maybe I'll know. I don't know. Maybe I won't know. I don't think it necessarily is like a day you wake up and you're like, <laughs> I'm ready to start dating. Um, I feel grateful that I feel I, I feel okay being alone. I feel okay being a single mother. I feel okay not having anyone right now. So um, 
I think I'll just take it day by day and, and see, but I hope that there's somebody out there for me. I hope so. I think there is. I know there is. Not that I'm a witch or anything, but. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, there was a beautiful moment. It's in the book, but um, gosh, my mother-in-law, Nick's mom, whoo, she's a, she is a warrior. Oh my God. And she lost her husband um, three years ago. So she's lost her husband and then she lost her son. And one of the really tough days in the hospital where we didn't know if Nick was going to make it, we were outside eating lunch. And she said to me, she goes, Amanda, I want you to find somebody again. I want you to, you need to, you're, you're going to find somebody again. I want you to, our whole family wants you to, okay? Like, don't you think that like, we're going to be mad at you or be sad. If you have a, a new life with somebody, you should have a new life with somebody. And I was like looking at her and I was like, your son is in the hospital passing away and you have enough strength and courage (laughs) and love for me um, to sit here right now and tell me that. I mean, like, I don't know many mother-in-laws that would do that, to be honest, you know? I mean, like, and I, of course, that day I was like, oh, mom, you don't know. And she was like, no, yes. You're going to find somebody again. You're going to, you, I want you to get married again. I want you to have a life with somebody again. And Nick would too. Um, she's amazing. Amazing. Well, I, I love talking to you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I've gotten a chance to get to know you. And I know that you've made a lot of new friends through this terrible ordeal and the, this unspeakable tragedy, really. And, um, you know, I just want you to know how much I admire you and how highly I think of you and how much, uh, you know, how much I too hope that you'll find happiness. But you've just been, I think, an exemplary role model for people uh, dealing with with this this kind of loss and this kind of grief. So I'm just really, I feel it's a real privilege to know you. Oh, well, Katie, I feel the same way about you. (laughs) I feel like we're like long lost souls that were meant to be friends. (laughs) As my mom would say, that makes it official. We're members of the Mutual Admiration Society. Yes. (laughs) Thank you again to Amanda Klutz, who, as you can tell, I think she's pretty terrific. Her book, written with her sister Anna, is called Live Your Life, My Story of Loving and Losing, Nick Cordero. It's out now. On the next installment of my summer book series. I think that this is the backbone of America. It is the dream of America embodied in my mother. She did it. Ursula Burns, the former Xerox CEO, on her extraordinary life, her trailblazing career, and her immigrant mother who inspired it all. That's next week on Next Question. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at katiecouric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.